0: Almighty Father, provider, sustainer, our eternal rest, you not only give us labor and work that we might reflect your character and display your glory through our daily task and vocations, but you also graciously and gloriously give us the gift of rest, the Christian Sabbath, this pattern of work and rest, that will sustain our souls while on this journey of faith that you've placed us on here on earth and it will give us a foretaste of that final day when we will enter into the rest accomplished for us through the death and resurrection of Christ this eternal rest when this eternal rest when we will not only trust our faith trust by faith the promises of Christ but instead we will stand in his presence and that we'll see with clarity and with full joy an unhindered communion with our God. Oh, that we may long for that day of rest. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we refuse your rest. Help us this morning that we may begin to understand this rest better and that you have have given to us. And grant us faith that we may receive it as it should be received, as a delight, as a gift from your hand. Would you do this for us this morning, as we have gathered here to receive from your hand the bread of life, the word of God? For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so take us now, Father, and shape us by your word, that we might be a people that reflect your glory for your namesake. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen, Amen. <clears throat> Imagine with me, if you will, in your mind's eye uh, these people, the Hebrew people, hundreds of thousands of men, women, children, and livestock, scattered throughout a a a vast desert. Really, they call it the wilderness, but it's more like a desert. These people who just a month earlier were living in homes, had cabinets and boxes and places to put their things, now for a month have been living out of a suitcase, if you will. They've been living in tents. And if you would, imagine with your mind's eye coming out of your tent, looking out across the vastness of all these thousands and thousands of people. There may be fires being started in the morning to break some of the chill, And the Hebrew people are beginning to gather to go and get the manna that the Lord has provided for His people. It's great to go on vacation. Some of us have gone on vacations and spent time away for vacation or maybe other things. But sometimes when we have to stay a little longer than maybe just a week, or maybe it's a a few weeks or maybe a month that you're away... um, It's great and novel at the beginning. You're living out of a suitcase, you're running and doing all kinds of things, but near the end of that vacation, you're just ready to get back home and put your clothes back in a drawer and have a place for all the things that you have instead of kind of having everything in a box that you have to shuffle through in order to get. These people are a a month into, God's people here in the book of Hebrews, are a month into this time out in the wilderness away from their established places that they lived in Egypt for so many years. Now they're in tents and they're wandering. They uproot every so often and go from one place to the next. The novelty has begun to wear off. And like us, when we get to the end of our vacation, we need to get home so we can get some rest. (laughs) God's people are becoming weary with the moving, with the constantly shuffling around with the constantly digging through their things and not knowing exactly where everything is and having to keep everything so that they can travel whenever the Lord may lead them to go from one place to the next. This morning we're going to be talking about a topic that is very uncommon to the world and and sadly not very common to the church today. We're going to be talking about this topic of the Sabbath. Now, the good news is that this understanding of the Sabbath occurs more than a dozen times in the book of Exodus. And so we're going to be addressing this topic of the Sabbath in various texts throughout our study in the Book of Exodus. And yet with that being said, I want you to know uh, that this morning is not going to be a, a message that's going to address all the questions that you or concerns that you may have concerning the Sabbath. And so I would encourage you this morning that as we're looking at our text There are things that I had to just simply say, I can't deal with those issues this time. I'll have to hit them as we get down the road and look at other passages concerning the Sabbath. I had to to kind of throw a a circle around what the text was saying and stick to that. So um, if you will, allow me, um, as we look at the book of Exodus, to introduce you to this understanding of the Sabbath, which I believe is what's taking place in this passage this morning, and this is why. This word for Sabbath is used for, our, for the first time in our Bible in this passage, in Exodus 16, verses 22 through 36. The first time this word for Sabbath is used, it's used here in Exodus 16. Moses is introducing this concept, this practice to God's people. Now, I don't mean by that that this is probably the first time they've heard of this pr- concept or this practice. The people of the Jews, the Hebrew people, more than likely had heard this understanding of work and rest from their oral tradition that they probably had, not a written down tradition, but an oral tradition that they probably had, and their understanding of the creation of the world. And so they probably had heard of Genesis chapter 2 that speaks of God Himself. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 that the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. And he rested. They had understood this concept of of six days of work and a a day of rest that God himself had established. But they themselves were more than likely not practicing this. Why were the Egyptians and Hebrews not practicing this? Well, to put it very short and quick, and that is they were slaves. They didn't have the opportunity to dictate their work schedule. Um, They were being told what to do and when to do it. Uh, they, They had lived their lives. All of these Hebrews had lived their lives, and their even their descendants had lived their lives. They were there for hundreds of years in Egypt, and they were their lives were dictated by the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They were not. They didn't have the privilege of being able to dictate their lives and how it was to be ordered. And so they more than likely, even though they may have known about this understanding of six days of work and a day of rest, they were not practicing it simply because they did not have the privilege of being able to order their days. Now, the reason they would have known this was because of the Genesis 2 passage and the fact that as Moses was beginning to explain this understanding of creation, they understand that their God, this one who is the Lord, is the one who did this himself. Also, I want you to understand that as God is doing this in this passage, as, as we're looking at this in this passage, we find that the Lord is doing something particular, and we need to constantly remind ourselves of this. The people of God in our passage are trying to figure out who this Lord is and why is it that they need to obey Him. Uh, they're, they're trying to figure out, is, is, is who is this Lord? What, what are what are the things that, that that characterize this Lord who has delivered us out of Egypt? And why should we obey Him? Pharaoh asked the question, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Now the Lord is helping His people understand who He is and why they should obey His voice. Well, the, uh, the children of God uh, in, the cha- in, chapter X, in chapter 16 in Exodus, we find that they were out in the wilderness and they were trying to decipher who their God was and they couldn't figure out for the life of them why they were starving they were starving. It says in uh, in chapter sixteen, in chapter sixteen, right at the beginning there, in verses four and five. Excuse me, a little bit above that, in verse two, the whole congregation of people, chapter sixteen of Israel, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and they grumbled because they had no food. It says at the end of verse three. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They were not trusting that the Lord would provide for them. They were not trusting that the Lord was going to care for them. But then it goes on and it says that the Lord was going to provide for them. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 16 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And so the Lord says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to provide bread for these people, and I'm going to care for them, and they're grumbling. And they are to go out every day and gather their day's portion every day. Why? According to verse 4, that I may test them. What way is he going to be testing them? He's going to test them whether, verse 4, whether they will walk in my law or not. That's the test. Well, last week we noticed chapter 16, verses 1 through 21. That was really test part number one. (laughs) There's more to the test. What we find in our passage in chapter 16 is that verse 4 connects to verse 5. Verse 5 says this. This is the second part of the test. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they will bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So the test isn't just that they gather for five days, What they need in order to eat for the next day. But the test also includes that they gather twice as much on the sixth day, and the test includes that they will rest on that seventh day from their work. So the test isn't just that they're gathering regularly the food. But the test also includes, as we're going to see this morning, and this is the portion that we're going to be looking at this morning, the test also includes this test of whether they're going to walk in the law of the Lord, live daily, live constantly in uh, devotion and trusting in the Lord. The second part of this test is, are you going to not only gather food six days, but are you going to rest on the seventh day? That's the second part of this test for God's people. So as we look at this test this morning, we find that the test is not only about their work and their gathering, but it's also about their resting. And as we look at this second part, I want us to notice it in three sections. Three portions of our passage this morning, three sections, that we're going to look at concerning this the second part of the test, which is concerning their rest. Point number one the rest renewed. The rest is renewed, verses twenty two through twenty six. Verses twenty-two through twenty-six. The rest is renewed. Point number two: the rest is refused. Verses twenty-seven through thirty. Verses twenty-seven through thirty. The rest is renewed in verses twenty-two through twenty-six. The rest is refused in verses twenty-seven through thirty. And then finally, and point number three: the rest is remembered in verses thirty-one through thirty-six. The rest is remembered. In verses 31 through 36. The rest renewed, the rest refused, and the rest remembered. Let's notice, if you will, in verse 22, this rest being renewed. And as I said, this wasn't a concept that was foreign to them, it was just the practice that was foreign to them. And so my encouragement to you this morning is that as they're being introduced to this, it was something that might have been familiar in their thinking, but they were completely unaware of it in their practice. Brothers and sisters, that very well may be where we are as God's people this morning. That we're aware that the Lord has done this, but how do we practice that and how do we understand that? Let me go ahead and let you know. Uh, This morning, I'm not going to go through the list of things that you should and shouldn't do on the Lord's Day. I'm not sure if that list will actually ever come, even through the 12 different sermons that are going to end up happening with the Lord's Day Sabbath as we go along. But what I want to do this morning is lay a foundation and an explanation and give some principles so that we can begin building some idea of what this needs to look like in our own lives. All right, And so um, as the questions come, and there may be some of, what about this, or what about that, or what about these other things? Um, Let me know those, because as we address this topic of the Sabbath, as we go through the book of Exodus, I want to be able to address those as we go along and learn and grow as we go along to uh, to better understand this, this concept and this doctrine that we see in Scripture. Let's look at verse 22, if you will, with me. The rest renewed. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, Two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. This is what the Lord has commanded. We see this morning that these people are in a crisis of faith. They're in a crisis of faith. What we saw last week is that they were gathering for six days this bread, this manna, if you will, that God had given to them. And for six days they had gathered some more and some less, but everybody had enough. And what they found was that if they tried to store it up and save it for the next day, according to verse 20, excuse me, verses nineteen and twenty, Moses said to them, "Let no one leave any of it until the morning." But they did not listen to Moses, so they left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank and excuse me, and Moses was angry with them, and so for six days they had a pattern of gathering what they needed, and the Lord was providing every day what they needed for that day 's bread. And they were not to leave any left over through the night, so that they can, so that so that they would not have any for the next day. Now Moses told the people that on the seventh day there will be none out there. What am I going to do about my family, my children, my livestock? What's going to happen to all these people? Are we going to are we going to trust the Lord, knowing that He's not going to provide any tomorrow, and we're going to trust the Lord that when we keep what we keep, then it's not going to bread worms and spoil on us or are we and and therefore gather double of what we need on the sixth day or are we going to abandon what the lord says and count on the last six days this stuff has been on the ground was it the lord doing it or was it something that happens in this region and we can count on the seventh day it still being there do you see the logic so you see, they have to trust that this manna, this manna they've got to trust is from the Lord and that the Lord is doing it. But their hearts and minds are just like ours. We like to rationalize and make it make sense. And there's no way. It must be that we're in this region, in this area, where this stuff naturally falls each day and it's, the, it's what's taking care of us. Is it the Lord or is it not the Lord? That's the crisis of faith. Are we going to keep it overnight? We know this has been told throughout the community here for the last six days that if you keep it overnight, it's going to spoil. So are we going to, are we going to trust the Lord and not plan on going and gathering on the seventh day and actually keeping some overnight and risking the fact that it would spoil and bread worms? Or are we going to trust what the Lord says? Was it the Lord that was providing for them or not? This is really the crisis of faith they were in the middle of. In verse Twenty-one. It says, "Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat." But when the sun grew hot, what happened? It melted and went away. So it didn't like they have extra laying out in the field either. It didn't like they said, "You know what? We'll leave that out there." And it'll no for morning after morning. In other words, a pattern has been established that this bread came in the morning, it went away in the afternoon. If they tried to keep it through the night, it would spoil. The question now is, are we going to trust that this is from the Lord? And he's the one providing for us? Or are we going to abandon that and think this is all by circumstance? So we see here what the test really entails. Are they going to gather extra manna to save overnight, knowing that it did not work out for the last six days? Or are they going to trust that this manna came from the Lord and that the manna in the field will not be there on that day, that seventh day, just like it was all other six days. They were so hesitant and uncertain that when they did this ludicrous act, they came and said, Moses, here we go. We did what you said. This this crazy thing that you told us to do, to gather twice as much, we've done it now, now what? And that's exactly what's taking place here in verse 22. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leadership of the congregation, because they're hearing it from their people, the leaders of the congregation are hearing it from the people, and the grumbling that they're doing from the having to gather twice as much, this is ludicrous. It's going to be there again tomorrow. It's been here for the last six days. When, the, when they gathered twice as much, the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, all right, we, we did that. We did what you told us to do on this 6 or on the 6th day this unique day we're going to be gathering twice as much verse 23 he moses said to them and what the lord's doing here as moses is speaking through him is moses is giving the people an encouragement a comfort that this is indeed what god wanted and it's not an afterthought what the lord is doing is he's underscoring for them why it's important for them to do this gathering the double portion on the sixth day. And so we see here in verse 23 the reason underscored of why they should do this. Well, primarily it's because they should be walking in obedience to the Lord and to the law of the Lord. But it says here in verse 22, excuse me, uh, verse 23, first it says, this is what the Lord has commanded. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And so what we see here is that what Moses is telling the people is that this is a commandment of the Lord. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't an inference. This isn't something that's really nice to do. But this is instead a commandment of the Lord. And what is this commandment? First, he describes what the Lord's day is, and then he describes how they're to observe it. First, what the Lord's Day is. We see here first that it is a solemn rest. Notice this word for solemn, this idea of a solemn rest. The idea here is that this rest is not like their normal resting that they would do day in and day out. It's not like a rest that they would do as they just simply go to bed at night. It's a, according to this word for solemn, it's an idea of a serious, a, a grave, a particular, a distinct ceasing or rest that they're to be doing on this day, on this seventh day. The Lord is calling it here. He says this is a command from the Lord. It is a solemn, a grave, a particular rest. Other translations try to get at this, that it's not just a regular rest like they would do regularly during the week as they just simply go to bed at night. The King James says it is the rest. It is a particular or distinct rest. New American Standard says it is a Sabbath observance. It tries to be very particular there. Other translations call it a complete rest or a day of Sabbath rest. They're trying to make a distinction here saying that this isn't just like any other rest but it is a solemn, grave, distinct kind of ceasing that they're to be doing. And notice how he continues to describe it. Not only does the Lord say this is a command that tomorrow you're going to observe a day of solemn rest but he goes on and calls it a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This is more of the description here. This idea of holy is the understanding of consecrated or set apart. It is a distinct from the other six days which are understood as common. The other six days are understood as common. The seventh day is understood as holy or unique or set apart. It is to be a holy day. Its holiness, however, is connected directly to the fact that this is not our day to do with as we please, and our own desires and preferences, but it is the Lord's day. Notice that it says here that this is a holy Sabbath to the Lord. To the Lord, it says here. In other words, this is not our day, but it is the Lord's day. It is, it is the Lord's day. Now, notice that this idea of it being to the Lord doesn't mean that the Lord somehow needs this day. But instead, in other words, it's not, it's not for the Lord in the sense that He needs it, But it's to the Lord in the sense that we devote our lives to Him on that day. That we turn our focus and our attention our our affection to the Lord on that day. And that's the idea here. That it is a holy day set apart, sanctified for the purpose of turning our hearts to the Lord. Now, what we often do is we think that that means we need to turn our hearts to the things that we have been blessed with by the Lord on that day. One of the One of the most difficult things for us to understand is that this is not a day to revel in all the blessings necessarily the Lord has given to us, but instead to revel in the Lord himself. You see, the point isn't that we simply love him because of the things that he's given us in his hand, but we love him because of who he is in his face. In other words, the Lord himself is the one that we're adoring and enjoying. This is why too often, I believe, even Christians devote themselves to things that we are blessed with by the Lord on the Lord's day instead of the Lord himself. We make the mistake of devoting ourselves to our family on Sunday or devote ourselves to uh, the wonderful gifts and skills and privileges that we have on Sunday instead of to the Lord and to the things that he is interested in and that he is devoted to. And then it goes on and quickly it tells them how. It tells them what the Lord's day is. It's a solemn rest. It's a holy Sabbath to the Lord. But then he says, this is how you're to observe it. And he's very clear for them as they are um, understanding what they're supposed to be doing up to this point. It says, this day is a, is a solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. So he's saying, cook what you need on this sixth day. And then it says in the end of verse 23 and all that is left over, lay it aside to keep it till the morning. Now, in their minds, they're wondering okay, we've done this before, and this has not worked out well for us. And yet the Lord, in an amazing way, provides for them. That was day six. Day six is the day of crisis of faith. Day six is the day when they're going to have to do what they need to do, just trusting what Moses is saying to them, that that's what the Lord is saying to them, that it is, in fact, a a command of the Lord, that it is a solemn day of rest and a Sabbath to the Lord. They're having to trust that. But then, then verse 24, what we find is that we enter into the next day, which is the seventh day. The seventh day, what we find is that they obeyed. And the Lord graciously and gloriously answered their prayer. It says in verse 24, so they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses had commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Back up in verse 20, it said that when they did it in the previous days, it did stink, and there were worms in it. And so that's the connection here. Verse 20 and verse 24. Are being connected here, saying that when they were doing it according to the Lord's standard, the Lord made it so that it persevered through the night. The Lord was displaying that this manna wasn't just some coincidence, it was actually from the hand of God. He was providing it for them. The manna was preserved. The manna was preserved. So what we find in verse 25 is that Moses tells them to go on and eat this on this day, the seventh day, the day of rest. Notice in verse 25 the word today is mentioned three times. It's to emphasize and underscore that this day, the day that the Lord has called the Sabbath, is the day that the Lord is calling them to eat. To eat this provision that the Lord had provided for them. This provision that wasn't supposed to be there it was supposed to be stinking, it's supposed to be full of worms. And yet it says here in verse 25 Moses said, Eat it today. For today is a Sabbath. It's a Sabbath to, where you can eat this food and be reminded that it is the Lord who provided it to you. That's what's being met here when it's meant here when it says, For today, the reason you're going to be eating this, this manna today is because today is a Sabbath that you're going to be thinking about how the Lord will continue to provide for you through this wilderness experience. Today, you will, fi- you will not find it in the field. You will not find this manna out in the field. Isn't it interesting that while they were slaves, they didn't have a run of their own schedule. They didn't have the ability to allot their own schedule and to set aside a seventh day for rest. And what the Lord is doing here is He's saying, now that you're delivered people, now that you're redeemed people, I want you to live like it. And one of the ways you live like it is by setting aside this day and devoting it to me and thinking about how I am going to care for you and provide for you all along the way. It's a day that you remember, I'm delivered. I have now an opportunity to set a schedule that is the Lord's. And this Lord isn't like the Pharaoh who constantly wanted more bricks, less straw. But instead, we have a Lord who says, I want to give you six days where you work, and a seventh day that you rest. They never received that from Pharaoh. They never received that in their slavery. And we will not either. We we act and we live like unredeemed slaves. When we live our days, day in and day out, each and every one, with no regard for the things of the Lord. This day, the Lord's day, which we have now as Sunday, and we're going to, Talk about that in another sermon sometime later. But this day that we have, the Lord's Day, is a day when we pause and acknowledge that it is the Lord who has given us all things and that he has provided for us. This is not a day for our preference and our desires. It's a day for the Lord to be lauded and to be declared as glorious and sufficient to meet all of our needs. Today you will not find this manna in the field it says at the end of verse 25 and then again in verse 26 it underscores the clarity and the simplicity of this command this command is not difficult this command is not something that's really complex how do we do it in fact it's amazing to me how how confusing it has become in the church today of what are we supposed to do about the Sabbath, and the various views all over the place on what exactly it needs to be. And there's all kinds of different ideas and thinking on this um, that you can read and see throughout the history of the church and with different variances. This is what God was calling his people to do. Verse 26, notice how simple it is. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. And that's how you're to live. That's how you're to live. Each day, dependent on the Lord, trusting in him, seeking his face. And then on the seventh day, knowing that the Lord will provide. Let's move now from the rest renewed, as Moses was describing to them what the seventh day was supposed to be, the Sabbath was supposed to be, to now a rest refused. A rest refused. Verses 27 through 30. We find in verse 27 that they actually refused this simple pattern, this gracious and glorious pattern that the Lord had given His people to work and rest. This was a gift that the Lord had given to them. And yet, in verse 27, it says, On the seventh day, which is the day that they were supposed to be eating and enjoying the Lord and committing and devoting themselves to the Lord, it says, On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. They found no manna. So the Lord speaks to this refusal to obey by some of the people that disobeyed. And he encourages them to be faithful by this speaking into it. So in verse 27, we see that some disobeyed and refused to to obey, but instead went out and gathered and looked for manna and they, they found none. Verse 28, the Lord speaks to Moses and tells Moses to speak to the people and to encourage them toward faithfulness. And we see three different things that the Lord is encouraging them in. Notice, with you, if you will, in verses 28 and 29, it says first in verse 28, And the Lord said to Moses, after their refusal and their desire to go out and actually gather when they were told not to, verse 28, it says this, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? You see, they're failing the test. They're failing the test of whether they're going to walk with the Lord in His laws and in His ways. The point here in this portion that the Lord is commending is this, is that this was not some idea that the Lord had developed a few days ago. This was not a suggestion that the Lord had for His people. And see see how this will work out for you. This is the Lord's command. It is rooted in his laws. And we're going to see that it actually appears again as the fourth commandment in the in the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at it more carefully there in way of this particular aspect of it. But this was not something that the Lord had come up with in way of a plan. The Lord was telling his people to do this because they were to reflect who? They were to reflect him. And he was trying to display to them who he was. And who is this God? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He's a God who created all things in six days and rested on the Sabbath. He rested on that seventh day. And so as His people were to display who they were in this wilderness, as they were to display who He was throughout the rest of their generations, they were to do that by this very pattern in their lives, displaying who God is. So the idea here isn't just that the Lord said, you know what, this is a great idea, let's do this, this will be helpful. No, the whole point is this, is that this command is rooted in the very character of who God is. And they were to be reflecting God's character by doing this. It's not just some helpful advice in way of living. So the first thing that the Lord says to encourage them away from this refusing to go out, or this refusing the, the, the Sabbath and, and deciding to go out on the seventh day, the first thing He encourages them with is this, is that it's not a suggestion, it's a command from the Lord that He has given to us, that He's given to His people. He says He says in verse, uh, verse, have uh, got to find it, so they laid it aside till morning. And Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. It goes on, verse 27, 28. And the Lord said, How long will you refuse to keep my commandment and my laws? That's the first thing. That's the first thing that he was encouraging them with, is this commandment. And then secondly, he was encouraging them with this idea, and it is this He wanted them to see that it was a gift from his hand. Notice in verse 29. Verse 29, he's he's wanting to say, he says, I want you to get this. This never was was supposed to be a burden to you. This was never supposed to be an edict handed down from a Pharaoh-like God demanding that you make more bricks with less straw. You're thinking all wrongly about this, is what he's saying. And that's why it says in verse 29, see. In other words, the Lord's saying, I want you to see. I want you to understand. I want you to recognize. What does he want them to recognize and see? And it is this in verse 29 The Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a gift. It's a gracious and glorious gift that the Lord has given to his people. It wasn't an edict from a self promoting, ego saturated Pharaoh in Egypt. It was, a, it was a gift from a God who was seeking their best, who was wanting good for them, not bad. Sadly, too often when we think about the Lord's Day, and specifically how we're supposed to honor the Lord's Day, too many understand it automatically as the Lord is taking something from me. <laughs> He's taking something out of my hands. He's taking something that's so precious and vital for me. I will say that this message and all these messages concerning the Sabbath as we work through the book of Exodus, it's only for those of you who don't have time. And I think that's every one of us. So many of us today, even God's people, are frantically running around desperate to figure out why in the world is my life running at such a breakneck speed that I can't figure out what's going on at any time. Could it be that that's how the world runs? And that if we honor the Lord's Day and begin applying these principles of the Sabbath, that our lives would become, be, become more paced like we serve a God who is in control instead of like we are in control? Could it be that our breakneck speed of our lives is because we're not willing to rest as the Lord has called us to on the Lord's Day? I think it is. I think it is. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see that this day, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, is a gracious gift that's supposed to be a delight for God's people. It's supposed to remind us that the Lord is good, and He wants what's good for us. He's not just pounding us and saying, here's another thing that I demand from you. God's people have been, necessarily has been, had to be reminded of this throughout history. In the book of Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, God's people were being drug off, um, into slavery and captivity, and the Lord is calling them to continue in, this, in this, this Sabbath. And he says in Isaiah 58, he says this, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath and from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath, instead of doing your pleasure on this holy day, instead call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day of the Lord, honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Do you hear that? Do you, are you delighting in the Lord, as God has called you to? Remember last week when I was calling you to, to, to make much of Christ and to stir your heart, to, to have an affection for the things of the Lord? Could it be that there's no way an affection for the Lord could, could get in edgewise because of all the other stuff you have crowded in your life? Could it be, it, you, we all know that we can't be efficient with loving those who we love. I can't hit it hard um, one day every two months and say, you know what, I'm going to love the people that are in my life and I'm going to hit it hard that one day every two months and then I don't have to do it anymore any, the, rest of the, the rest of the time, right? We, it's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Some of you husbands need to learn that more. It takes a regular, constant watering the soul. And could it be that our delighting in the Lord is because we're not regularly, constantly delighting in the Lord, taking a day to set aside and say, what would it take for me to begin stirring the things of the Lord in my own heart and fostering these things? It's not so much, brothers and sisters, the Lord's Day is not so much about what we are doing on the Lord's Day. It's about what we're not doing. You know, so many people take the Lord's Day and say, it's about not doing this, not doing this, not doing this, not doing this. And you can't do all these other things. And the fact, the point is, is that you're you're giving yourself to the Lord and to stirring up a delight for the things of the Lord. The Lord was not forcing them to work. He was not calling them to work harder. He was calling them to a solemn rest, to a Sabbath He was not calling them to starve, but instead he was giving them food. Look what it says in verse 29. It says, look, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. He's not saying, I want you to go on that seventh day, and I want you to go without food and just be earnest and know that you're going to love the Lord even though you don't have food. No. He's saying, I'm going to provide for you what you need on that day so that you can turn your heart to me. He's going to provide for them. Finally, I want you to see that he was encouraging them not, in, not only in the sense that he said, This is a command, not only in the sense that he said, This is a, a gift that I'm giving to you. This is what the Lord is giving you as a delight. But finally, I want you to see, <clears throat> excuse me, see at the end of verse 29 remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. The Sabbath command is not make more bricks. Work harder. It is to rest. What we find in the fourth commandment as we get to the ten commandments is that that commandment has just as much to do with work six days as it does with rest on the seventh day. What we find here in our passage in verse 29 is that the Lord is saying, I'm not calling you to do more. I'm calling you to remain in your home and to eat the provision that I provided for you. Let no one go out of his place on that seventh day to remain there and to rest in the provision that the Lord has provided. We too often refuse the gracious gift and the pattern that the Lord has given us in work and rest. We often, as well as the church too often, point to Jesus as the example of refusing that rest. You've probably heard the the idea that Jesus was constantly confronting the Pharisees, and what was the most often offense that the Pharisees gave to Jesus? Well, you're doing this on the Lord's day. You're healing and you're eating and you're doing all these other things. We find that very thing in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 that Tyler read for us this morning at the end. It says in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were, were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of... Abathar, the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him and he said to them the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath so the son of man is the Lord even of the Sabbath now I'm not going to get into an exposition of this I just want to pull some things out first thing is this is that Jesus was confronting their tradition with scripture um the picking of the heads of grain on the Lord's Day wasn't an explicit command anywhere in our Old Testament. And so they had this tradition, the Pharisees, of all these things that you couldn't do on the Lord's Day. You can't carry an orange more than 10 paces on the Lord's Day. So you know what? They cut it in half. Now we can carry it anywhere we want. They had incredible laws and traditions that they had formed and what Jesus was doing was he was confronting... He wasn't, he wasn't negating. He never, Jesus never eradicated the Sabbath. He never says in any of the New Testament passages that, okay, the Sabbath is no longer valid. He doesn't abolish it. As it says in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord says, Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law. What does he come to do? Fulfill the law. But instead what he does is he, he corrects the Pharisees with Scripture when they're a wrong understanding of tradition. We have that same problem today concerning the Sabbath. We have traditions that have come into place, and we think that if we're not pumping gas on Sunday, then we've we've done it. That's it. We've got it, right? We need to understand that there's something behind the practices that's more important than the practices. Does that make sense? In other words, the practices are important, but only if they're rooted in the principles that are in the Scriptures. So Jesus was eradicating their traditions for the purpose of the Scriptures. The next thing the Lord does, as we see this, was that he was communicating to them that it was an intended gift. That's exactly what he means at the end of the passage in Mark uh, chapter 2, when he says, the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, it's for you. He's saying the same thing that it says in Exodus. This, this is a gift for you. If you're using it to beat everybody up, which is what the Pharisees were doing, then you're not using the Sabbath in the right way. If you're saying, well, you need to be doing this, and you need to be doing that, and you need to make, if you're doing that, then now you've automatically stopped using the Sabbath in the correct and right way. It was designed for man. It was to build us up. It was for our good. If it was designed to hurt us, then we're using it in the wrong way. It turns us away from the Lord instead of toward the Lord. That's the second thing. First, it was rooted in Scripture, as Mark says in, in Mark chapter 2. second thing Jesus does is he says it's intended as a gift, as a privilege, as a delight for God's people. And then finally, at the end of Mark chapter 2, he says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Even of the Sabbath. Basically, he's saying this. The Old Testament Sabbath was to the Lord. Isn't that what it says in our passage here a couple of times? That this is a Sabbath to the Lord? Jesus here is saying this, yes, the Sabbath is to the Lord. And you know who the Lord is? Jesus is saying, it is me. In other words, the authority and the one who rules, the one who, who gives the instructions of how the Sabbath is supposed to be ordered, the one who has the authority over the Sabbath is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself. So that on the Lord's day, on Sabbath, our assumptions, our traditions, our will, our preferences are not what matters. It is the Lord's. It is Jesus' preferences, his will, his desires, what the scripture says. Brothers and sisters, I want to call you to resist the refusing of the Lord's day. Rest. And as verse 30 says... So the people rested on the seventh day. Would you rest on the Lord's day? Would you find that rest as one who is Christ himself, the authority of that rest, given to us as a gift rooted in the scriptures and not in tradition? Finally, I want us to look at the rest remembered, a rest that is remembered. This is going to be a quick point that I want us to notice it. In verses 31 through 36, This rest is not just for God's people in the wilderness, but it's also for God's people throughout all generations, it says. This rest was to be remembered. In what way? Well, first, what the stuff was was to be remembered. Verse 31 says, Now the house of Israel called its name, this bread, manna. Now it wasn't just stale, nasty wafers. The Lord is good in what he provided. It was like coriander seed, white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, this was a day before you could go to Publix and buy a jar of honey. This was a day when, when you found honey, it was hard to find. They didn't have big factories and stuff to make, be able to make a lot of this stuff and hand it out to any and everybody. To find honey was a find during this day. And it wasn't something that they could just kind of make for themselves. They were wandering It says here that the the manna that the Lord had given to him, the point here is this, is they were to remember it not as stale, nasty stuff that they grumbled over, because eventually they're going to grumble over the fact that all they have is manna to eat. But instead it was good. It was a wonderful gift from the Lord. They're to remember it as that. And then Moses says in verse 32, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations why? so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. In other words, I want them to throughout the generations to know that the Lord has provided for them this good and and wonderfully tasteful substance. He provided it for them, and he says, in the wilderness when they couldn't provide it for provide for it themselves. when I brought you out of the land of Egypt, the Lord delivered them and then he provided for them He wants God's, God's people to remember this. And then it goes on in verse 33 and it talks it's, it's interesting how how specific this is. In verse 33, it says, And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar. Why did he say it to Aaron? Well, Aaron was beginning to handle more and more of the responsibilities of the priesthood. And so Aaron was to take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout all generations. In what way? As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it where? Before the testimony to be kept. Where's the testimony? The testimony... Sometimes when you read that phrase, it's actually the testimony is the Ten Commandments. But many times when you read that phrase, it's also referring to the box that the Ten Commandments was kept in, and that is the ark. So we know in the book of Hebrews, there were three things that were kept in the ark. There was the manna, jar of manna. There was the rod of Aaron that was budding, which speaks of the priesthood. And then there were the Ten Commandments. So out of the out of all the things that the Lord wanted them to remember, there was only three things that went into this box that the Lord wanted them to remember throughout all these generations. And it was, and, and, and it is important for us to understand this, especially when we get to the Ten Commandments, that all of, all of the book of Exodus, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of that wasn't put in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments hold a unique and specific place for God's people today, just as it did back then. It was a unique ten words for God's people. There were the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. There was this idea of the priesthood as Aaron put his staff that had budded into that Ark of the Covenant. And then uniquely we see that the Lord wanted them to remember with the same amount of importance and value that he provided for them this manna in the wilderness, And he cared for them in this way. So these three items were put into the Ark of the Covenant as a perpetual reminder to God's people throughout the generations that he cared for his people and loved them. Notice in verse 35, the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years. So the Lord was faithful day in and day out, morning after morning. Do do you you get that? For 40 years, they lived from paycheck to paycheck. (laughs) Some of you know exactly what it's like. Um, um, but they, they lived from paycheck to paycheck that was coming to them daily, <laughs> not weekly. They lived, They lived, today we have what we need, and if the Lord doesn't show up tomorrow, we're not going to have what we need tomorrow. That is not a way that many of us understand living. Many of us don't understand that. This is exactly how God's people lived in the wilderness for 40 years. And it says... The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. You know what that speaks of? That speaks of the fact that these people were nomads. They were refugees. They were wandering around in this desert place. Note to that is this. They couldn't grow crops. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to stay there long enough for them to come up. They couldn't, they couldn't do what needed to be done in order to sustain themselves like they were in Egypt or like they would in Canaan. They were wandering around, and every place they went, they needed food. And it couldn't be something that they can do for themselves. Why? Because they were in an uninhabitable place. And for 40 years, it says, they ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. The Lord was caring for His people when His people couldn't care for themselves. It should prompt us to be reminded often how our Lord has so faithfully provided for us. And as we consider this, we're all aware that this provision was not because we were so diligent and so productive and so industrious in our own hearts, but instead throughout the years the Lord has faithfully provided for us even when we were unable to provide for ourselves. So in closing, I want to mention just a couple of things. First is this, all of us are in different places in way of our understanding of the Lord's Day. I didn't grow up in church, and then when I did begin attending church as a teenager, um, and really most of the churches I ever went to, I um, never had any understanding of the Lord's Day being honored in any particular way. And so um, your pastor is growing in this as well. Um, my encouragement to you is to pray and seek the Lord and seek the scriptures concerning this. It's concerning how the Lord wants us to move forward in this. Um, None of us have arrived because we have a bigger list of things we don't do on Sunday. Okay? That's not what we're after. My encouragement to you is this. Take the Lord's day and ask the question, how can I begin delighting myself in him? And let me commit Sunday, because every other day is crazy. Let me commit Sunday to do that. Okay? Um, Some of the ways that Shane Waters... Now, don't think this is a practice that is for everybody, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you with the practices, understanding that the principle is lying under this. Some of the practices that I try to do is that I try to shut myself off from um, the constant bombardment of the world on me. Things like Facebook, social media, the news, what's happening around the world, um, that may be good for us to know six days a week and to pray about, but on the Lord's Day, could it be that the Lord can handle the world and all that's in it on that day and all of your friends and all of their likes and posts and stuff. Maybe, maybe it's good for us to pull away from that to say, I want to delight in the Lord. Another thing that I would encourage you to do is that if you have a family, um, the point of, of the Lord's Day is not your family. We need to understand that. But there is a sense where you as a dad specifically need to be fostering this in your family and teaching your family how to honor the Lord's Day. Um, one of my favorite things to do on the Lord's Day is take a long walk. Um, you haven't had time to do that lately because you're so crazy trying to handle your life and deal with everything under the sun. And if you have a family, take a long walk with your family, and 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 notice the 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 bushes and the twigs and the birds and the flowers. Slow down and rest in all that the Lord has displayed before you. Then there's all kinds of things that we can talk about, and we have all kinds of but. My encouragement to you is to be. I'm calling you to the gift that God has given to us. Don't don't fight against it and say, "Well, I can't watch this, and I don't like that, and I want to do." But wait a minute. Let's let's begin delighting in the Lord, and I promise you this: we, we have a it, think about think about this. Our hearts are wired for this rest. Think about the entertainment industry alone, and all the money that's funneled into it. Add to that all the theme parks that are in the world amusement parks. Add to that all the hobbies that people put their money into. All of those things are primarily for the purpose of them relaxing and enjoying themselves and kind of kicking back and not having to work so hard all the time, right? That's a huge industry. Why? Because we're hardwired to find our rest, and we're not doing it. There's, There's more drugs being pumped out of our pharmacies for anxiety than almost anything else other than pain medicines. Why? Because we're not living in the rhythm that God has called us to. Stop living like people that are still enslaved to the rat race of this world, And start living in a way that delights in the Lord one day a week and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself to figuring out how can I delight more in the things of the Lord. And I promise you it's going to look different for different ones of us. And we need to be careful to encourage one another towards faithfulness in this, knowing that we all need to grow in this in some measure. Last testimony. When I was in college and in seminary, I was going to, be a, I was going to school to be a preacher. And what was the main day that I got all of my studying done? What well, was Sunday. Everything lays down, nobody's messing with me, nobody's making phone calls, everything is kind of nice, so I can crank it out on Sunday in way of schoolwork. And I came to the conviction that I needed to step away from that and no longer do schoolwork on Lord's Day, and I devoted that day to loving God's people, and this was when I was away, so I was kind of off on my own, so I was loving God's people and seeking to go to church and be faithful in those things and, and devote myself to the Lord. My grades got better, Now that isn't always the case. Okay, my grades didn't always stay better, but my grades got better. I found that I was better able to assess and evaluate what was important and what was good in in those six days that I needed to work and do what needed to be done. I want to encourage you in this, and as we get to these passages, as we move along Exodus, know that this is not a club that we're going to lower on anybody. This is an opportunity for us to figure out how can we, how can we pursue the Lord better. And would it, could it be that the Lord wants us to take one day out of the six and turn it to him? And would that be for our good? It would be. And we're going to see that more and more as we go along. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is the prayer that the author of Hebrews had for his people. Let us therefore strive, brothers and sisters, to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us pray together.